The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's 8 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. Uh, of course, the conversation around employment equity and in particular the amendment bill is far from over. I think that conversation really just to set a context of what we're looking at so that we're all on the same page. This has been an issue that of course, have been, um, you know, really raising concerns about. And it was good to hear at least the commission put forward its argument for why they've been advising governments, government rather, on the policy changes, what has informed some of these decisions. And I think it will enrich the conversations and the debate um, that we have as we go forward and ask questions around whether this is the right answer to the problems that have been identified and certainly is a conversation that we'll continue to have. I know many of you also wanted to contribute to that conversation, but unfortunately we we just didn't have um, enough time for it. Coming up in this final hour of the show, we're reflecting on 68 years of the Freedom Charter, particularly through the through the lens of editors, uh, some of them veteran editors, veteran journalists who very much would have been aware of the hope that the Freedom Charter um, represented, at least at the dawn of our democracy. It was adopted a lot longer uh, than that in 1955. But the reason I use democracy is because that is when at least the Freedom Charter was able, we were able to have an expression of the Freedom Charter through our country's constitution. And some of the ideals um, that were discussed and, and reached upon at the Congress of the People in Cliptown in Soweto were given life. What kind of society did we want to build? And where are we today? And the Freedom Charter almost becomes that light that helps to shine, you know, the gap on what our aspirations, what our hopes of a country were versus um, where we find ourselves. And it's the conversation that uh, we'll be having over um, the final hour of the show. As always, I'll be taking your contributions to it. Our guests that will be joining us for this conversation today include Mondli Makanya, who is the current editor-in-chief of the City Press. Uh, Mr. Makanya, good morning to you. Thanks for your time and being part of this conversation. Good morning and good morning to the listeners. Katu Mamaila is a veteran journalist, also a part of the conversation this morning. Mr. Mamaila, good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to the listeners. Before we get into our conversation, I want to um, play this clip that really will help set a context for us. We know that uh, the Freedom Charter in many ways is a roadmap and was a roadmap for the future around economic inclusion, equality to justice, human rights, etc. Um, this is a clip of Leon Levy, who was a trade unionist. And at the time, 68 years ago, he was describing the, the day and the issues that were put on the table at the adoption then of this Freedom Charter. I remember the day very vividly. It was Sunday the 26th of June, 1955. We arrived early in the morning and small groups started coming in and later large groups 
streamed in and started to fill what seemed like rows and rows of uh, small benches. The site was a strip of felt and the meeting began and the discussion centered around many of the issues that were discussed over two years in different places all over South Africa, in farms, in trade union uh, organizations, in factories, in townships, wherever people were and wherever people worked, there were discussions on the Freedom Charter about land, education, labor rights, the right to vote, elections, peace and security, housing, whatever worried the people. It was a time when apartheid was being implemented very fiercely and quite brutally. And the people who were talking about these matters were often victims of the struggle. All right, so we reflect on the Freedom Charter, not just in the context of what the ideals of the Charter were, but in as far as it relates to our society, post-democratic South Africa, 29 years after the fact. Mr. Makanya, let me begin with you. You know, the Freedom Charter, of course, was not necessarily an uncontested document. But do you think that there was enough consensus, not only from the ANC, but even from the critics of um, the, the document, that today we can continue to use it as some, of, as some form of guiding light for where we have <coughs> made progress and where we, we're still facing incredible challenges as a country? Look, it, the Freedom Charter was really, it was a remarkable document. I mean, like, and, and one could actually say quite ahead of its time. I mean, if you look at it today, a lot of what you see in the Freedom Charter, a lot of the principles and ideals that are contained in there, in a way, laid the foundation for what was to eventually become um, the ANC's constitutional principles, which the ANC adopted in 1991, uh, going into the negotiations. And a lot of it as well then went into what then became the South African Constitution that was adopted firstly in 1993, then again finally in 1996 by the Constitutional Assembly. But um, and then, um, so I think what you see today in the South African Constitution, a lot of it is basically what was, um, I mean, like the seeds were laid in, in, the, in the Freedom Charter. But as you say, um, it was a contested document because for a lot of the, a lot of the, say, the 60s and the 70s, um, with the ANC having gone underground and the influence of those who belong to the Congress stream of politics, 
being in the background and the consciousness came to the fore. In the, the Freedom Charter took a back seat and a lot of people at that particular time, the people were the forefront of the internal resistance. If you saw this, the Freedom Charter is a very weakened document and that it was not ambitious enough in asserting blackness, asserting Africanness and asserting the demands of the masses. And but I mean like but and I think everybody today would broadly agree that it actually contains the things, the ideals and the and the, the vision of the South Africa that we will eventually to have. And, and we'll get into some of the critique of the constitution because, um, you know, it's important that, that as you've underlined, that what is in the constitution, the foundations of that are found in the Freedom Charter, which is why this idea around consensus is an important one because it helps understand um, some of the criticism, even against the constitution to date. Um, Katu, I, I want to come to you, Ndata Katu, and, and give you a, an opportunity to speak about this idea of, of consensus and the Freedom Charter and the extent to which there is and there has been buy-in um, to, for the Freedom Charter. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> we, can con- we can talk a lot about the Freedom Charter, uh, whether it's a good or bad document. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there are a lot of things that uh, some people don't agree with on the Freedom Charter, uh, like the preamble that the land belongs to all who live in it. Uh, that forms the rejection of that clause uh, resulted in the formation of the PC. That said that the land cannot belong to everybody who lives in it. But that's really a discussion, uh, not necessarily for today. I think the Freedom Charter, broadly speaking, is a good document on paper. Um, because in reality, the story is different. I mean, it guarantees, it's a very inspirational document. It talks about the people shall govern, it talks about all having equal rights, it talks about people sharing in the wealth of the country, it talks about people shall have work, it talks about uh, people shall enjoy human rights. But if you pause a bit and look at that uh, 29 years after the dawn of democracy, we have, people don't have water. We have an outbreak of cholera because sewage is flowing, it's, it's flowing into um, areas that are supposed to feed people with water. We, we have a, a serious crisis of just drinking water in, in throughout the country. Where I come from, in Okwara, for example, my uncle was telling yesterday that they have got to spend 500 rand a month, a, a, a week, buying water. He lives in a, in a part of Toronto that is used to be called white area because uh, the, the few white people who were living in the then vendor uh, used to live there. That area used to have water. Not that you should have water because they are white people. But now there's no basic things like water. You don't have, so, so when you talk about rights, and then you contrast that with the lived experience of people, uh, after the dawn of democracy, we have emerged as the most unequal society in the world. So, so all these things that we're talking about, we've not been able to, to live even to the basic minimum of what the Charter was trying to, to talk about. So in reality, it's used that <clears throat> On paper is good, but the lived experience of an average South African will be different. If you have a youth unemployment of up to 70%, uh, uh, extended unemployment of about 42%, basically meaning that four out of 10 South Africans are out of jobs. 
you can't be saying people have got equal rights when they don't have the basic things that allows them to enjoy the rights that are enshrined in the constitution. One of the things that for me is is interesting to note is how there's seemingly been um, a, a deviation of, of sorts from some of the commitments and the promises made in the Freedom Charter and all of that, Mundli, happening under a democratic government. Because if we take, let's say, just the issue of education, everybody having a free education for all, and, and that's something that from a policy perspective is often communicated um, by the ANC and obviously uh, finds meaning within an ANC-led government. And in the same breath, you will find then the same government being taken to court over what its commitment um, to, to, to the people has been. Do you think that there have been some harsh realities uh, along the way? What for you explains these inconsistencies? Okay, I'm going to just exactly propel it out. <clears throat> the Freedom Charter is, it was aspirational, and it was a set of, it was a wish list in a way, and, and, and the achievability of that would, would always be in question. I mean, like, because it paints an ideal, a ideal society. It's almost nirvana. And, but the constitution that we live under basically give, it gives me, gives form to those, some of those aspirations, some of those wishes, and, and basically the basic demands of a good society. And then the laws that we live under, again, then they then give basically an the ability to enforce what is contained in the constitution. But, of course, um, a constitution is only as good as the people who are there to implement it and the people who are there to to demand its promises. And basically, and the society's ability to to use that constitution and the laws that the constitution and, and presides over. And... And then, as we know, basically in the post-1994 period, particularly in the past, say, 10 years or 10 years to the past 15 years or so, and you've had a lot of betrayal of what is in the Constitution and what is in, in the Freedom Charter. Um, but I would not necessarily blame the Constitution for that, as some people do, because um, I think the Constitution gives South Africans so many um, Right, and what is there for us is to basically use that constitution to to enforce those rights. I mean, like for instance, I mean, like if you look back to um, the Khrushchev judgment, um, which basically committed the government to providing housing to, to, to the people within basic, I mean, like within <laughs> reason, of course. And if you look back to the constitutional court judgment on on Evarapin back in the early 2000s. Again, it gave people power. It gave power to people basically to demand the government that, that the government provide reasonable um, uh, um, anti-HIV um, medication um, to, to South Africans. And there have been many judgments basically that have gone against the government and around the question of education, around uh, issues of, of sanitation. And but what, as you point out, what is very interesting is the fact that the very ANC government, which has lived for the past 68 years 
under the, the what we call it, the, the light of the Freedom Charter. It is the very ANC government that actually goes and opposes people um, who actually use the constitution to, to demand those very basic rights. <clears throat> and, and, and we have to ask the question, Mondli, does the Freedom Charter mean as much to South Africans as it did in the time period that you referenced earlier, 1991, the transition, 1993, 1994. Um, do you find that that is still the case? No, I think that we, we as South Africans have basically put the Freedom Charter right at the bottom. We don't celebrate the Freedom Charter enough. We don't celebrate the idea that the Freedom Charter you would be very... You would be hard put to find members of of the ANC, never mind other political parties, who can actually go through, tell you what is contained in the in the Freedom Charter, and all the ideas that are in the Freedom Charter. The ANC itself does not celebrate the Freedom Charter, and very symbolically, and the place where the Freedom Charter was adopted, Cape Town, that that memorial, that, that museum in Cape Town is actually a disgrace. I mean, like, which actually tells you how much we as South Africans, the government of South Africa, and the people who support the custodians of <clears> that great <throat> legacy actually value the, the Freedom Charter. Mr. Mamaila, I want to come to you because just on this issue of, of the custodians of, of the Freedom Charter and how you're hard-pressed to find even ANC members who still still speak about it, um, at least predominantly. Um, last year, I remember the EFF leader, Julius Malema, saying that his organization is, in fact, the true custodian of the Freedom Charter. And that in and of itself, I think this... Um, you know, appropriation over who today can legitimately stand up and say, we are fighting for the ideals of the Freedom Charter, that in in and of itself has become quite contested. I think it's a moot point, really, to be, to to, to want to be the champion of a a document which is just good on paper. In reality, I think... If we still live in a country where kids die because they are going to a pit toilet because they have no toilets, if we live in a country where we lack basic, basic, basic rights, I mean, people get killed because somebody is, is, is we are taking a cell phone from someone. I think the, the, the things that are in the Freedom Charter are so divorced from our daily lived experience to a point that. Maybe the fact that that monument in Cape Town is what it is, it's actually not a, 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 an irony. It's a reflection of where we are as, as a society in, in South Africa. Because really, we, we are a country under siege. I mean, people commit crimes in broad daylight, rob a bank in a van and drive off less than 200 meters from a police station in Toronto. And nothing happened. So my view is that I think <clears throat> before we talk about who is the custodian of this document or the constitution of that, we, we, I think we should just pause and, and, and look at how can we really help uh, uh, arrest the decline uh, that's happening in our country. And I think to a large extent, um, we, we tend to generally blame government. And I mean, when you look at... Um, some of the things that are happening, you look at uh, states around teenage pregnancies, you know, 
tens of thousands of children falling pregnant. You, you can't exclusively blame that on government, as if government is uh, the one uh, teaching children to do what they are doing. I think people, uh, parents, uh, society, people must take responsibility. I think one of the biggest problems that we have in this country is that we talk a lot about rights and very, very often, uh, uh, hardly we speak about uh, uh, responsibilities of people. I mean, if you are in Johannesburg, CBT, you can hardly want to go to use a public toilet because somebody will go there and not flush. Basic things that people are supposed to do, we don't do them. I mean, we, we, we for example, we'll be saying that uh, uh, education is free. I mean, you, you will see people protesting in, in TV. Our children are on Nyaupe, as if government is distributing Nyaupe to children. People must begin to take responsibility for their lives. Parents must be parents. We should not outsource parenting to government. I mean, all many of us, especially, especially the petty bourgeoisie, are responsible for, for, for the state of, of, our, of our country. I mean, people now, for example, the government will be talking about the introduction of universal health care, either was known as the NHI. You'll find middle class people opposing that. Why? Because we've got access to private health care, we've got medical aid. Our, our hospital, who's running our hospitals? Black professionals, but we don't care about what's happening in Para. We don't care about what's happening in Colorful. You look at our schools, there's a report now that up to 1,000 schools are closing, have been closed down in KZN. You look at what's happening in the township schools. It is, I, I just think that the middle class and uh, uh, government makes uh, by extension. We, we are not taking ourselves seriously. We're talking a lot about rights and not doing very little about uh, what is our role in terms of making sure that these ideas enshrined in, in the Constitution for that matter become a lived experience for the majority of our people. We'll continue the conversation in a moment with Katu Mamaila, veteran journalist, and Mondlima Kanya, editor-in-chief of the City Press. What does the Freedom Charter mean to you on a day like today, which marks 68 years um, since that charter was adopted in 1955? Does it hold any significance? Perhaps if I talk about the Constitution, I know uh, there'll certainly be a lot more responses, but we'll take some of those reflections after the 11.30 news headlines. with the headlines at 11.30. I am Dino Mutaung. The Western Cape Mobility Department, the police and the National Prosecuting Authority have agreed to form a joint task team to deal with tax-related violence. In other news, the Association of Private Security Owners of South Africa, TAPSOSA, has welcomed ASCOM's decision to place its acting head of security, Karen Pillay, on precautionary suspension and High Education Minister Dr. Baden Zimanda says UNISA is celebrating 150 years when the world is facing geopolitical crises and conflicts that all affect the global economy. A full update follows at the top of the hour. Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. We continue our conversation on the talking point, reflecting on the Freedom Charter uh, through the lens of editors. And uh, joining us is Mondi Makanya and Katu Mamaila. Mondi, I want to come back to you and perhaps go back to that issue around the critique of the Constitution you were touching on. Our political landscape has become 
incredibly contested, right, to the point where we argue even about what is supposed to be simple facts. Um, facts that are presented on the table apparently are no longer just facts, um, that those can be in dispute. And again, the political environment we find ourselves in has, has made that increasingly difficult. Do you think that the criticism for the Constitution is born out of this failure that um, Mr. Mamaila was talking about, that the fact that life has become so hard for South Africans under democracy, when they look at the Constitution, they no longer see it as a document that can help improve improve their lives on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the blame for what has gone wrong in the country, the lack of delivery, the poverty, the wealth, the, the inequality that we have, and, and basic safety, poor education, etc., etc., a lot of that is unfortunately blamed on the Constitution and not on those who are supposed to, who are constitutionally obliged to deliver those those things, and who actually are empowered by taxpayers' money, by the, the position that they occupy. Those are the people who should be blamed. And so what has happened, unfortunately, a narrative, that narrative has been built that everything that's the non-fulfillment of the aspirations that we thought we were going to um, the aspirations of 1994, the, of freedom, of a new, of a, a changed society, that those failures are the result of a, a supposed bad deal that was made in 1994, and that those failures are a result of this constitution. As I said earlier, this constitution of ours is a very empowering constitution. If we use it, and and we use it to actually make the government do things, and for the government to, to use it as well to actually fulfill its obligations. It is a very, very powerful constitution. Um, so this narrative, unfortunately, gained ground um, around the time of um, the fees must fall and roads must fall, and then seeped its way into the governing party. Now you are having people within the ANC, influential people in the ANC, also starting to blame this constitution for their inability to do what they're supposed to do. And it is, for my, in, my, in my view, it's a very, very unfortunate and terrible cop-out on their behalf. They actually are the people who should be championing this constitution and using this constitution to do many of the things that they're supposed to do. Like, for instance, I, mean, I think the question of land distribution, that people say that the, that the constitution stops the government from actually distributing land, redistributing, redistributing land. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Constitution actually empowers the government to do so. And there are many just basic laws that the government could be actually be using to effect its redistribution policies. But it is not doing so. It's basically it's a governance of failure. It is a failure of governance and also basically a, short, a shortage of political will on, on the part of those who govern this country. I agree with you, Montley, when you say that part of where we are today is is really a tragedy. And I suppose the one question then in a moment like this that we can ask is, then what brings us together now that can help us have hope about the future 
we are working towards as 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 a country do we have um something whether the constitution the freedom charter that that brings us together in the way that we need to um dedicate as you've described for for we the people to take this agency yet again and 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 exercise our right as 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 citizens who are stakeholders in this democracy it's very difficult to have one common vision between uh, different classes uh, if you have got uh, some people uh, struggling to lose weight because they are overfed uh, and others who are basically hungry and think that we have a common vision i think it's, it's it's a bit unrealistic the truth of the matter is that we've got to address the basics uh, uh, create equal opportunities for all people um, address basic things okay? You know, bring law and order back into this country uh, where people can do and uh, promote people uh, initiatives. If people start small things. I mean, if you go to the township, we also got this thing of um, you know, uh, not, when we talk opportunities in the township, we still talk about washing cars. It's, we, 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 it's very patronizing about how we think how low we think of black people in business. Uh, we never talk about real things when we talk about business with black people. So I think we, we just have to refocus, uh, reboot, and, and, and take ourselves more seriously. And, and it's a bit more, uh, more challenging uh, that we have a black-dominated government, but we don't take black people seriously. And in that regard, you can't even blame other people, because in any, in any event, this is how we think of ourselves. So if, you, if you look closely at some of the so-called township economic activities that some of the government people are talking about, you ask yourself, washing cars, is that a real business opportunity that you say, is that the best that you can do for black people? And I just think that unless you create a, a more equal um, base, you have no business to talk about a common vision, really. Ultimately, um, we're going to have to find some way out of this stagnance, out of this quagmire, and in many ways, this regression that we are in as, as a country. What are those pathways that we as citizens need to be thinking about? And often, of course, people will say, well, we have to look at elections and people have to think carefully about who they're voting for. But what the election patterns are showing us is that South Africans are simply opting out of the system. They are not participating in the system, at least not to the level that they could be. Yeah, that, 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 I, mean, I, I think it's a reflection of, of the lack of faith in the system. And uh, incidentally, I also do not think that uh, our so-called democracy is helpful. I mean, now... We, we were struggling with political parties. Uh, now you, you can even vote for individuals. So you are fed that dividing people. And people, like anybody who, who if, if you have a problem with your party, you leave your party, you form a new party. And, and in the eyes of people, they don't just see these political parties as just a vehicle, or as just vehicles of people who want to make money or to earn a living. Because political parties ought to have a bigger vision. We ought to see a political program of what political party A is putting on the table. But uh, I mean, if, if now we're going to vote for 
uh, for individuals who, you know, if 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 Katrina is unhappy with something, then you form a political party. Now the, the system allows that you can actually be voted as an individual, and somehow our people, some of our people believe that uh, voting for individuals is better for, than voting for political parties. And you ask yourself, how can indi- an individual be more accountable to the people than the political party? But ultimately, really, uh, I just think that the if you look at, at other countries that, that, that have been successful, uh, you look at uh, Singapore, you look at China, uh, I don't think uh, the, the emphasis was more on democracy. There was more of a political vision in a country of saying, this is what you want to do. In this country, even if you, you discover a, a mine somewhere, uh, before you start doing anything, there will be 10 organizations opposing it. So there, there is no... That there's no stated uh, um, common vision. We as a, some years ago we spoke about the national development plan. I think the, uh, the, the NDP and people thought that was a vision that's going to take us somewhere. And we, was, we were told it's vision 2030. We're seven years away from uh, 2030, and I can assure you, very little of the NDP has actually been uh, realized. I do not. I, I think as a country we lack visionary leadership. I think uh, we can do with a bit of um, uh, decisive uh, leadership that uh, acts against anarchy. I don't think that we should accept the the sort of protest where people block national roads uh, and and say they're demanding this or the other thing. I think we need a firm hand uh, to to curtail some of this this the the the, the, the anarchy uh, that disguises itself as a. Uh, people protesting or as as rights, uh, because I, I just think that we are in a almost in a, in, a, in in an emergency situation where we've got to be decisive and sometimes go to an extent of curtailing some of these rights if we are to make progress. Mm. Uh, we're treading on very treacherous waters there, Ndadima Maila, because often, you know, that is the argument that is used by the state when there is a heavy hand in clamping down on protesters who, of course, are protesting because the reality is, as you yourself have noted, there has been lack of delivery. Mundi, let me come to you. Pathways, alternative pathways out of where we are now? I'm, I'm glad that Kathy touched on on the NDP because I was going to go there. Uh, and it, you know, back to your question about um, is there a common vision around which we can all um, basically unite and rotate and basically chart a path? I think the NDP is that very tool. Um, before the NDP was adopted, there was a very, very comprehensive diagnostic study that was done by the government at that particular point and by the National Planning Commission. And, 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 and out of that, then the National Planning Commission then went out again and basically came, and, and came out with this thing called the National Development Plan. Now, the NDP is no panacea, and, but what it does, which the documents such as the Freedom Charter do not, do not and cannot do, is that it actually was a practical plan. It said... All right. Mon- yeah, sorry, yeah. No, Mon- uh, we seem to have lost you there. No, uh, am I back now? Yes, you are. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. What the NDP did, it sets this 2030 deadline that this is what is achievable. It wasn't just a wish list. It was like, this is what is achievable if we do one, two, three. And the, the NDP was adopted by Parliament. It was adopted by the, the ANC at its, um, at, at, at its conference in 2012. And then all political parties in this country, basically kind of most political parties, um, basically rallied around the NDP and said, look, we can sign up to these minimum um, things in the NDP. And uh, some trade unions, I think, kind of like within Kosati, said no to it. But I'm like, but the, those who were on the fringes who were not in favor of the NDP were minimal. And the NDP, if we did 20 to 30% of what we, the NDP set out to do when it was adopted in 2012, and now in 2023, if we just did 20 to 30% of that, we would be very far. And I think that the NDP is not a lost cause. I think we as South Africans can still go back and look at what is there in the NDP and that which is not contested, that, that, is, that which is not controversial. And we can actually use that as a pathway to a South Africa that we want to be in 2040, 2050, because I think those deadlines will have to be moved out and spend the past 10, 10, 10 years under Zuma doing basically kind of like taking the country in the opposite direction right. and we spend the past five years basically doing nothing. But I think we can still rally around the NDP as our common vision. Monli Makanya, Editor-in-Chief of the City Press, and Katu Mamaila, Veteran Journalist. Let me thank you both for uh, your views, your insights on this particular uh, conversation. I'm so sorry we haven't been able to uh, bring in the views of our listeners. We do have a few uh, standing by. Unfortunately, we're just completely out of time for this conversation. Up next is the book reading. The Talking Point, of course, back with you again tomorrow.